I have been wondering, I have been wondering how people can hear the truth of the gospel, the, the reality of the gospel, how people can claim to love the gospel, how people can, can claim to embrace the gospel, to be all for the gospel. I've, I've been wondering how people can say that they've been saved, that they've actually been saved by the gospel, and yet those same people who are, who are making those claims are not impacted to their very souls by that same gospel. I'll just tell you, I've truly been wondering that. I, I wonder why people who say they've received the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ are not so consumed with their love for Jesus, but they're not so consumed by our great God of that gospel that they're consumed in worship, that their lives are just given in worship to that God. I wonder that. I wonder why people who claim to love the gospel are not living in light of that gospel in radical obedience. It seems like if we understood the real, the truth, the reality of the gospel, that if God ever said do something, we would say, brother or sister, that's what I've got to do in my life. I wonder why folks aren't driven to radical obedience. I've been wondering why people who say they love the gospel do not have a hatred for sin for their own sin and for the sins of the world. Instead, it seems like we see, we try to just see how, how close we can get to it, how far we can wade out into it and not get burned. And, and we want to see how much we can consume or how much we can watch with our eyes or, or how much we can dabble in and not get burned. And, and we're not hating our sins. I've been wondering why so many who claim the gospel are really not impacted by the gospel. Look at the world today. Look at our nation today. Look at our homes and our marriages and our, our kids. Look at our lives today. How can a gospel-professing people really today be so unimpacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you ever wonder that? You ever look around and survey all the folks that are claiming Christ and to say they love the gospel and yet they're so unimpacted in the events of their life by that gospel do you ever wonder how that exists? I believe I know why. I believe it is because the gospel being heralded today, the gospel being shouted today, the gospel being proclaimed today is not the full gospel. Really, it's not the true gospel at all. And I believe something today is missing in the popular gospel that we hear today, and I believe it is this. It is the cross. I believe today we hear a crossless Christ, and he is what is preached. I believe today we have a crossless, a crossless gospel, and, and that's become popular today, and that's what's proclaimed. And I think those two things have led us to a powerless, crossless form of Christianity. And I believe Christianity today has been hijacked and it's been hijacked for self-help and it's been hijacked for self-worship and, and I know it's been hijacked by self-promoters. And you watch and you look and don't take my word for it. You can go on the internet or you can watch on TV or you can go on the radio. You can go to churches today and you can hear sermon after sermon after sermon and teaching after teaching after teaching and never hear about the cross of Jesus Christ today. Today Christianity has become some form of personal counseling. 
Christianity has become some way to feel better about the consequences of sin in our life without addressing the problem of sin through our, the remedy Jesus Christ. Christianity today has become a platform for preachers to make names for themselves, to become big stars, to build 15,000 square foot houses today. And I believe you look around and you survey the landscape, it is a crossless Christianity. One of those preachers, a guy named Stephen Furtick, I was watching one of his videos, one of his messages. It was entitled, Complete the Cross. That should have been a giveaway right there. He says, this is a quote, for those who think God is all they need, for those who think Jesus is all they need, the cross has two beams. And he says the cross is about relationships with people. And he says even Jesus needed a team. Well, I watched his video. Maybe he'll watch mine. Friends, that's not the message of the cross. Friends, that's not the truth of the cross. The truth of the cross is all I need is Jesus Christ. And my only hope, if I'm ever going to have a hope, is set in Jesus Christ. And the truth of the gospel is I can only have fellowship with Jesus Christ. I can only have the forgiveness given to me by Jesus Christ through the cross of Jesus Christ. And you be sure today there's not one thing that my mighty Savior needed, not from a sinful people, not a team of people, the cross is complete in him and that is the truth of the cross of Jesus Christ. Today, tonight, and next week, we're going to look at the cross. We're going to look at the death of Jesus and in doing so, we're gonna hear the fullness of his gospel. Next Sunday, we're gonna observe the Lord's Supper. So we remember his death on the cross. Today our message is entitled The Centrality of the Cross of Jesus Christ. The Centrality of the Cross of Jesus Christ. We're in Luke chapter 18 today, verses 31 through 34. Luke chapter 18 today, verses 31 through 34. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 18, beginning here in the 31st verse, it says this. Then he took the 12 aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles, and he will be mocked and mistreated and spit upon. And after they have scourged him, they will kill him. And the third day he will rise again. But the disciples understood none of these things. And the meaning of this statement was hidden from them. And they did not comprehend the things that were said. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come today and I'm thankful for a Savior. I'm thankful that because of no work of my own, but because of the cross of Calvary, I can be forgiven that I might be restored in my relationship with the Holy God. I'm thankful that through the cross of Calvary that I could have afforded to me eternal life. We come today and we set our eyes upon you, Jesus, 
We come now to hear your words, not the words of a man, not the words of a, of a culture that would want to shape it and, and shift it around to fit our needs, but we hear the word from God. And I pray in doing so that we will be changed. I pray that today we would draw closer to you I pray today that our priority set, our, our mindset, our lives will be impacted by the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. We praise you. I pray for some in this service that do not know you. I pray that today in the preaching of your death, in the celebration of your resurrection, they would put their faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, we do lay this at your feet. We do worship you, and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Today in our verses, Jesus has just finished telling the disciples that their devotion for him, that in that they would be greatly blessed in this age and in the age to come, in eternity. Now, if you remember, Peter had asked the question, Lord, we have left everything, everything we have left, and followed you. And then we have Jesus' response in verses 29 and 30. Hear them again. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times as much at this time and in the age to come eternal life. Again, that is his promise to them. What you what you gain will far outweigh whatever it is that you could have left for this cause. And then we come to our verses here in verse 31. In verse 31, he pulls them aside. He pulls the 12 aside and he tells them today the cost of what it is they will gain. Now get this this morning. Be sure what we gain, eternal life, far, far, far outweighs anything that we could ever leave. But also understand today what we gain comes at his cost. Starting right here this morning, I want us to start understanding the centrality of the cross of Jesus Christ. And I want us to, to very, up, very quickly up front, I want us to start to have a great understanding of the centrality of the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, right in the middle of the gospel is the cross of Jesus Christ. And really the gospel can be broken into to two parts, can be divided into two sides, and on each side of the cross exists those sides. You see, understand, before the events of the cross... We are condemned by the law. But after the cross, the law is fulfilled in Jesus and we are able to be forgiven. Before the cross, we are guilty and awaiting a punishment from a holy God. But after the cross, we are declared the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and our record is clean. Before the cross, we are separated from God with no hope of reconciliation on our own. But after the cross, we are reconciled, redeemed, restored in our relationship with God. Before the cross, we are dead. But after the events of the cross, by faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us we pass from death unto life. That is the miracle of the gospel. And at the center of that gospel, friends, is the cross of Jesus Christ. God forbid we ever embrace a crossless gospel. 
The cross stands at the center. Let's look at verse 31. Then he took the 12 aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. Listen to that again. Then he took the 12 aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. Now let's look at that piece by piece. It starts off, and Jesus, pulling them aside, says, Behold. To the 12, he says, Here is the truth. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. Now, he had come down from Galilee. He had crossed for the final time the Jordan River. Somewhere he is drawing near now to Jericho. And he says on his way to Jerusalem, as they're going up to Jerusalem, all the things, all the things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man. Now the Son of Man is a title for the Messiah. Now notice here, he calls himself the Messiah. He's not, he's not misled. He knows who he is. He calls himself the Messiah, the Son of Man. He says all of these things will be accomplished. That means all of these things will take place. All of these things will come to pass. Now I made a list, but really it's too, too great to go back and look at the whole list. But I want to tell you, what are some of these things that will take place? They're making their way to Jerusalem. What are some of the things that are going to take place there in Jerusalem? Here are some of them. Isaiah Chapter 50, verse 6 says this. I gave my back to those who strike me and my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting. Isaiah chapter 53 says that once in Jerusalem, Jesus is going to be despised and forsaken of men, that he's going to be a man of sorrows acquainted with great grief that he would not be esteemed. He would be given absolutely no value. The Bible says, Isaiah says, that he will carry our griefs, that he will carry our sorrows, and yet we would consider him stricken, smitten of God. Now understand that. What that means is those that he came to save, those whose burden that he's bearing would reject him. Those that he came to shed his blood for, they would be repulsed by him. Isaiah says he would be pierced through for our transgressions, that he would be crushed for our iniquities, that the chastening, the punishment for our well-being would fall upon him. Isaiah says, by his scourging, which is a, a brutal whipping across the back, literally tearing the flesh, the skin of the back away, by his scourging, we are going to be healed. And all of this, Isaiah says in chapter 53, verse 9, is because yet he had done no violence. Verse 10 says, but the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief, if he would render himself as a guilt offering. Another place, Psalm 22 says, his bones will be out of joint, that his strength would be dried up. Remember when he couldn't carry his cross anymore and someone was pressed into action to carry it the rest of the way, that his strength will be gone. 
Psalm 22 says that his tongue would cleave to his jaws. It says they would pierce his hands and his feet. That they would divide his garments and they would, for his clothing, cast lots. And as they walk, as they are going up to Jerusalem, these are all the things that are waiting on him. Did you hear that? As they're making the steps on the way to Jerusalem, these are the things that are waiting for him. Hear this today. Jesus knew what was waiting. Jesus knew his terrible fate, but he walked it anyway. Verse 32. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and mistreated and spit upon. Some say throughout history that the Jews killed Jesus. And so there's been movements at times through history to blame the Jews and to, to take it out on the Jews. Well, we see here the Jews handed him over to the Gentiles. And so be sure today all of the world had a hand in his death. The Jews and the Gentiles all secured his fate. Now notice this here in verse 32 before we move on. It says the Jews handed him over to the Gentiles. Now we know that was, that was the Romans. If the Jews had carried this out themselves, he would have been stoned. Do you understand that? If they'd have done it according to their system, if they'd, have, if they'd have executed him according to their system, he would have been stoned and there never would have been a cross. And so the Jews hand him over to the Gentiles, the Romans who had devised the cross. Listen to verse 32 again. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles and be mocked and mistreated and spit upon. Verse 33, first part. And after they have scourged him, they will kill him. And after they have scourged him, they will kill him. Here's the truth. On the cross, Jesus is killed. On the cross, Jesus is dies. Listen to me this morning. The remedy for a selfish gospel, the remedy for a powerless, self-focused gospel of convenience is the truth that Jesus had to die, that Jesus died on the cross of Calvary. Be sure and get that today. Be sure and understand that. He didn't come as an example. He didn't come as a moral teacher. He didn't come as some sort of mystical guru. He came to die. He took on human flesh that he might die. He lived a sinless life in order that he might die. And he walked this day to Jerusalem. And he did so and all the while. And with every step, he knew that he would die. And Jesus was killed for this gospel. Jesus died on the cross of Calvary. Friends, nobody wants to talk about that today. Nobody wants to embrace that today. Nobody wants to own up to that today. But the true gospel includes his death on the cross of Calvary. You see, in death, he gives his life as the ransom for many. In death, he is the atonement for sin. He doesn't make atonement. He is the atonement. In death, 
as he's nailed to the cross, our sins and our shame are nailed to the cross with him that we might bear them no more. In death, he surrenders his will, not my will be done, but thine. He surrenders his own will to the will of the Father. In death, a brutal death, the perfect lamb of God becomes the final sacrificial lamb unto God. And through him, the sins of the world are carried away. In death, he dies our death. God forbid we preach a crossless gospel. Then here's the good news. Here is our hope. Here is the capstone. Here is the apex. Here is the the centerpiece of the gospel. He doesn't stay dead. Listen to the rest of verse 33. And after they had scourged him, they will kill him. And the third day he will rise again. And the third day he will rise again. That's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We serve a risen Savior. Yes, they kill him. Yes, it was for us. Yes, he atoned our sins there. Yes, the wrath of God was poured out upon him. Yes, they pulled him off a grave. Yes, they put him in a tomb. But the good news of the gospel is the tomb is rolled away. The stone is gone. And he is alive. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says of himself, on the third day, he will rise again. Verse 34. But the disciples understood none of these things. And the meaning of this statement was hidden from them. And they did not comprehend the things that were said. Listen to it again. But the disciples understood none of these things. And the meaning of this statement was hidden from them and they did not comprehend the things that were said. Verse 34 says three different times in three different ways that they didn't understand, that they, they couldn't get it, they couldn't grasp it. It says they couldn't understand this. You see, even knowing the scriptures, even knowing what they knew, even hearing his voice, they knew that surely nobody would subject themselves to this much suffering. They knew surely nobody would present themselves for this much punishment. Surely nobody would. Nobody wants to be that hated. Surely nobody would march to their own death. Surely not a death so brutal on a cross. And they were waiting on a Messiah to come in glory. They were waiting on a Messiah to come into hell and power. They were waiting for a Messiah to come and to to reign in majesty. And they never pictured a Messiah stripped naked and killed on the cross of Calvary. Couldn't understand it. Stark truth is, however, we are saved by way of the cross. God forbid we ever preach a crossless gospel. I found this song. It's an old hymn. We've never sung it. It It's written in 1887. Listen to the words. Cross of Jesus, cross of sorrow, where the blood of Christ was shed, 
Perfect man on thee did suffer. Perfect God on thee has bled. Here the kings of all the ages, throned in light ere worlds could be, robed in mortal flesh is dying, crucified by sin for me. O mysterious condescending, O abandonment sublime, very God himself is bearing all the sufferings of time. Cross of Jesus, cross of sorrow, where the blood of Christ was shed, perfect man on thee did suffer, perfect God on thee has bled. God, forgive us for the cross. Jesus, forgive us for the cross. Jesus, we thank you for the cross. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come. And I pray that if there's anything in us that doesn't respond to a Savior, to God himself, who would go to a cross for our redemption, you'd break us of that, that you'd crush that pride out of us, that, that resolve, that pushing against you, you'd take it from us. Lord, I'm a standing by a God that wants to know me. I'm a standing by a God that wants to spend eternity with me. I'm a standing by a God that would show me such grace and mercy. Lord, I'm a standing by such, such a tremendous God, but I can't understand a God who would die brutally for me. So Lord, I praise you, I worship you, I thank you. I exalt the name of the crucified lamb and the risen king, Jesus. I pray today that we would start to live with an eye for the cross. I pray today that we would structure our, our lives with an eye for the cross. I, I pray today that we would respond in worship with eyes and a heart of the cross. We come today and we bow before you and say, Lord Jesus, we thank you for the cross. Lord, I pray for someone here that maybe has not put their faith in Jesus, the Savior of the cross. I pray that today you would speak to them. Maybe you've spoken to them that you're drawing them in your spirit. I pray that today they would put their faith in Jesus. Lord, I pray that you'd remove any hindrance today. And I pray that there would be decisions made for your glory response to the cross. Lord, I pray for us as a people, us as a church, that we would begin to march, we begin to, to serve, we begin to witness, we begin to live in a, in a life that wants to glorify Jesus of the cross. Put that in our hearts. Give us a passion for that. Lord, I lay this at your feet, and I just pray that you've been worshiped and glorified through it. I ask that you move now in our time of invitation for your glory, and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.